This is the Parenting ADHD Podcast with Penny Williams. Each week, Penny shares proven ADHD parenting strategies and her hard-won ADHD mama wisdom. This is not your physician's podcast. Penny discusses the genuine grit of the moment-by-moment peaks and valleys of this special parenthood. It's time to beat the chaos and challenges of raising a child with ADHD. Here's your host, Penny Williams. Welcome back to the Parenting ADHD Podcast. I am excited today to be talking to Heather Chauvin. Um, We're going to talk about how there must be something more um, in a lot of different ways for um, kids with ADHD and autism and parents of those kids. Thanks for being here, Heather. Will you just start by introducing yourself, who you are, what you do? Yes. Thank you so much for having me on the podcast, Penny. I love having these conversations. Absolutely. Yeah. So for a while, I'm a mother for a while, (laughs) for a while, it's been a while. Um, I'm a mother of three boys. They're 13, eight and five. I always have to think, Oh, and then when someone has a birthday, it's like, dang it, you messed, you messed up my, my flow. So 13, (laughs) eight and five, three very different boys, um, different way of being in the world. So the first one's always the guinea pig and you try to figure it out. Mm -hmm. And the second, um, I gave birth to him 13 years ago. I knew things needed to change. And now through that journey, and I'm sure we'll talk a little bit about that. Now I support women, helping them really understand their children, what their children's behavior is telling them Mm -hmm. and how to really understand themselves and create a life that they feel good about. So waking up going, I have energy and I feel content. And it doesn't matter if you have one child or 25 children, you, you can feel good. And I want women, I'm kind of here to change that, you know, stigma around, look at me, look how exhausted I am, look how burnt out I am, you know, doing more, doing more, doing more. I'm going to really help women take the strategic action, create the plans, the mindsets, um, and the accountability because change is very uncomfortable. Yeah, it's hard. It's certainly hard. And especially with our own mindsets, it's super hard to change that. It takes work. You know, a lot of times I talk with parents and and they say, you know, I, I heard what you said and I'm trying. And I'm like, oh, it'll take you a long time. You know, it's something we practice, I think. And um, it takes, it's a process. It takes time to get there. Yeah. I mean, it takes, it's just, it's commitment and devotion. And as I continue to expand who I am in my work, in my personal life, my parenting, you know, realizing there is, there's this no arriving. We're never arriving like, oh, when I achieve that, then I will be happy. When the kids are older, then I'll go after my dreams. Mm -hmm. Oh, when so-and-so enters school, then I'll have more time. It's interesting because then we play these little mind games with ourselves and those, those milestones happen and you're like, oh, I actually don't have more time. Why is that? And it all starts in the mind. Yeah, for sure. I think, you know, the mindset for parenting kids with special needs like ADHD and autism um, is a huge part of our success because um, there's a uh, 
Dr. Dale Archer, I believe it is, who talks about the psychological victim or the psychological survivor. And Mm -hmm. I've talked about it on the podcast here before, but that's a really huge thing to choose, you know, make that choice. How are you going to live your life? How are you going to go forward from um, being the parent of this child and having this diagnosis? Mm -hmm. Um, You really can choose. Yes, you can. And I think it takes a lot of, you got to be ready to hear the message, right? Mm -hmm. You have to be ready for it. And I think about what was it that pushed me when I became a mother to really think outside the box and go against what everybody around me was telling me. And part of that was because I was a young mother and then I give birth to this child and already I'm considered, you know, a statistical failure right? Mm -hmm. And um, I actually was terrified because when I was pregnant with my son, I didn't want to be alive. I didn't, um, I was severe, a severely depressed teen and the people around me weren't really good role models on how to live, how to live a happy, emotionally successful life. Right. I didn't have those role models. So I was just kind of playing by, you know, the, the ecosystem, right? Just being involved in that. And then I looked at him and I'm like, there has to be another way. There has to be another way. And there's something I talk a lot about, it's like soul aches, the breadcrumbs, you know, where you're, attracted to something. And part of that was when my son turned four, um, I started noticing. So at this point, I'm like a social worker, like a full blown mental health social worker working with uh, families who just so badly want to thrive, but don't know how. And what I'm noticing is everybody is putting these band-aid solutions, or they're giving a diagnosis, or even just labeling children like that child is behavioral. What does Mm -hmm. that mean? Yeah, my child has behaviors. You know, he's angry. He's frustrated. Can somebody please tell me what is going on? And you are the professionals. Why can't you tell me? So then Mm -hmm. my son started acting out. There was anxiety. There was like anger, you know, whipping toys across the room, all of these fun things. And I thought, okay, I have a degree, uh, an undergrad in child development. I work with mental health professionals and I don't know how to solve this problem. Yeah. And that was scary. And so part of the breadcrumb for me was the word meditation kept coming up. Meditation, meditation, meditation. And so being the... (laughs) Mother that we are, okay, I got to get my kid to meditate. He needs to meditate. Great. I am a huge advocate of mindfulness and teaching these skills to our children. So then I dive in. I'm like, okay, I'm going to teach him how to meditate through this process. Penny, guess what my aha moment was? What? (laughs) You'll never guess. I was the one that needed to meditate. (laughs) Everybody needs it. Yeah. I was the one with the anger issues. I was the one with the severe anxiety and I didn't know it because it was just part of my DNA. It was part of what I mean by DNA. It was just so engrossed in who I was and I had it as a child and as a teen. And that's why I slept all the time because I was, it wasn't that I was depressed. It was, that was my drug of choice to numb out and sleep. Right. To get rid of that feeling. So my son taught me how to 
take back control of how I wanted to feel by purely trying to help him manage his own big emotions. And then, so as I started implementing, you know, these tools and strategies that I was learning, I then started to feel in control of my own anger and my own anxiety. And I was yelling less and I was able to be more present. So then I'm like, oh, well, I feel in control of my anger. So I can then kind of not only role model for you, but teach Mm -hmm. you how to do the same. Yeah. And then realizing, you know, now I'm in a coach position with my child. Now I'm in a teaching position. I'm not in this, I am the parent, you are the child, be quiet. And then there's this conflict and stress and all of that. So I had to change my mindset about what is my responsibility and role as a mother. And it's definitely not to do laundry and, you know, be your chef and your Uber driver and all of this. It's to be your your spiritual teacher and spiritual guide and like help you through this life. Not even spiritual. I mean, that's a whole nother conversation. Help you to feel in control of your big emotions, teach you the life skills of how to be a happy, successful person. Yeah. Yeah. That's huge. And, you know, there's so many studies and so much more coming out now um, in both ADHD and autism worlds about mindfulness and not only the benefit of it for our kids, but the benefit to us as their parent, because when we're able to pause and look at things from a distance and more clearly, instead of being reactionary in the moment, we're handling it better. Um, again, like you said, we're modeling something more appropriate to handle our emotions. And um, it just makes total sense. And it also honors, I think, who your child really is. You know, if they have a diagnosis or they don't, whatever um, is specifically unique about them, it honors that um, in the way that you interact with them when you're more mindful of those things. Yeah. And I was having a conversation with a woman uh, a few days ago because she was in my teach your kid to meditate program. And I, I tell everybody, this isn't about, yes, you can teach mindfulness to your child, but this is about you being mindful of the life you want to be living and how you want to feel. And her child, I don't really know what his diagnosis was, but he had severe behaviors. And she's like, Heather, we have full-time help. Um, You know, we've been through every therapy you could possibly think about, and I want to start introducing this. So I said, great, let's make it. uh, We have to be very creative, right? Because sometimes we get in this mindset of it needs to look like this. It needs to look like that. And I said, maybe you can put headphones in and have a guided meditation or some music and just have your son jump on the trampoline or run around vigorously. Sitting down might not be what he's going to do. And then she said, but he can't wear headphones. You know, the sensory stuff for him is just out of this world. And I said, great. But she said, we do have this other device that helps kids with, um, you know, the sensory processing stuff and being overstimulated. So she goes, we can do it with that. And I said, great. So I find parenting as a co-creation where oftentimes we get in this, this angry and fresh, like our anger and overwhelm is just too all consuming. And then we're like, can somebody please fix this problem for me when really it's a co-creation. Um, and to piggyback off of that conversation, while I was having this conversation with the woman, I said, when's the last time you did something for yourself? Like, when do you do these things for yourself? Do you meditate? Do you journal? You know, do you go for walks? Do you exercise? What is your eating habits like? And she laughed. And I said, I know, 
I know you know, this is your full-time job. Like, and if you're not doing this full-time, you're at a full-time job and then you come home and you're doing this full-time. It's a 24 hour gig. And she's like, Heather, I can't, I don't, I just can't, I don't have the energy and I don't have the time. And I said, um, there's a module that I teach called energetic time management. And it's not about time management. It's about managing your energy in alignment with how you want to feel and setting up your day, your week, your month, your year like this. Um, well, not, maybe not so year. Sometimes we got to go like 12 to 24 hours at a right. time, right? Take it one moment at a time. Steps. Exactly. But I said, you need to prioritize this. You need to prioritize your energy because if you're, it's that, Oh, it's that age old annoying saying, right? Your oxygen mask. If it's not on first, you can't do not put the other person's on. And I get it. We have so much love to give as women. We've so we're, you know, we'll do anything for our ch- children. I would literally donate organs for them, like without anesthe- anesthetic, like you would do anything for your yeah. kids. But the truth is we have to think counterintuitively for it to be sustainable and healthy. Yep. Big picture. Exactly. And when we don't do that, so I said, you need to implement this first or I'm not going to let you go to level two. And she was like, oh, I'm so resistant to doing this. And I said, this is why we need these people in our lives to tell us what to do because resistance change, right? Changing the current, the flow of water is very difficult. And that's what we have to do as parents, especially as women, when we want to create these connections and see our children thrive. Yeah. And I think that mindset piece, you know, at the beginning, we can go all the way back to how do we picture parenthood? What did we expect parenthood to be like and when you're parenting a child with special needs you really have to throw that out the window Um, authoritarian parenting is not going to be as effective as this kind of collaborative parenting that you're describing and that's that's huge that's as big to me as the self-care piece both of those are really that kind of foundational work that you need to do before you're going to do successful work with your child Mm -hmm. There was, I don't know the woman's name, but it was the good news about bad behavior. Have you heard of this book? I've heard of it, but I haven't read it. Okay. My colleague, uh, Janet Allison, she runs Boys Alive and she was talking about this book and how there's this other model of parenting and it's called the apprenticeship model where it's kind of more of like the role modeling, right? Where we're teaching and guiding our children um, how to do that, you know, coach and student type deal, Mm -hmm. um, rather than, you know, I'm the adult, you're the child. I have a voice. You don't, my opinion matters. Yours does not Mm -hmm. or too relaxed. Right. Because then you get terrified of, I don't want to be abusing my child mentally, physically, emotionally. So I'm just going to shut down and not say anything and then feel like they're walking all over you. So it's like, where do you find this balance or alignment? And I really like, I'm learning more about it, but the whole apprenticeship model. Yeah, I love that. And that's very similar to, I think, to um, Ross Green's work on behavior. Um, He has the collaborative and proactive solutions model, which, um, was huge for us and so many other families, but there are other kind of parenting approaches that are very similar to that. And I think, you know, like the coach approach, that's what's really most successful for our kids. And 
you know, really have to sit back and ask yourself, what's the goal? What is my goal in parenting? I want to raise a child who can function on their own, function successfully and have a happy life, right? And so if you're just commanding and they're, um, you know, following your will, is that really going to get you to that goal? Um, you know, to me, not successfully. And you probably do some damage in the interim with that approach. But yet that's the approach that we all grow up thinking is what parenthood is like. Yeah. And everything is an evolution, right? I mean, we're not talking about medicine here or health and that's a whole nother conversation, but there's so much research constantly coming out about the evolution of medicine and health. And I was listening to a podcast this morning talking, uh, there was a physician talking about how part of his model is teaching people how to meditate and change their diet. And then their anxiety and depression is like minimal. Um, And yes, it's not perfect and minimizing screen time. And so there's so many things that we can do. And I think people just get stuck in their ways or you, you look around. Like, I think it's beautiful that you and I can have these conversations. And, um, like I talk about this a lot on my podcast, the mom is in control podcast, but, um, you know, there's nobody censoring us. (laughs) We can, we can talk about what we want to talk about because we're passionate women, moms who just want to make a difference. And I think that's the beauty of, today is that we do have the awareness. Um, and for those who are just stuck in old ways, a lot of this stuff is not in mainstream culture yet. So yeah. you're, it's like you're swimming upstream and people are like, what are you doing? I wouldn't do that. Somebody else, you know, didn't tell me to do that. So therefore I'm not going to, and we're just operating from belief systems of how we were parented. And, mm-hmm. you know, even if you had a horrible childhood, your children are sorry, your parents are doing the best that they could and they yeah. just don't know different. And I see parenting as, you know, you like a relay race, you pass the baton, you do the best you can, you learn, you grow, you evolve, and then you pass this on to the next generation. Yeah. And even if your parents were great, that doesn't necessarily mean that their approach is the best approach for your own child. You know, I had a good childhood and, um, but I grew up in a strict household where there wasn't really a lot of flexibility and that was fine for me, but for my own child, that would be horrendous. It would be a nonstop emotionally intense battle every moment. And so, you know, it's really important for us to take into account every unique quality of our own kids to understand their truth, what's true for them, and use that as part of your compass for your own parenting. Yeah. Yep. And every child is different too. Yeah. 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 What, What I can do for one child, I cannot do for the other. Yep. Yep. And even in your own household with multiple kids there, you know, you have to, and a lot of people focus on equality and well, I have to do the exact same thing for each of my kids. Well, equality is really what they need in that moment, not an absolute equal, excuse me, (coughs) an absolute equal, um, you know, object or treatment or punishment or reward or whatever it is, you know, it, it, it has to be different for each person because each person is different. Exactly. Exactly. Let's talk a little bit about um, 
the fact that our children are never going to be normal. And so there's no fixing required. Can you talk a little about how a mom or a dad would start to shift their mindset into that direction a little bit? Yes. So I, it's funny because when you said normal, I'm like, oh, who wants to be normal? (laughs) I don't, I've never felt normal. Mm -hmm. And I'm so glad for that because I have such a rich life, meaning I can, I see colors brighter and I just, I feel like I have this emotional freedom, this freedom within me. And if I was normal, I would be burnt out, miserable, stressed, and anxious. So I get it when people say, I just want my child to be normal because what does normal mean? Well, maybe it's a little bit easier to integrate your child into a classroom, or maybe, you know, you're not getting those phone calls from the school, or maybe they can join, you know, a soccer team or a sports team and there's no uh, discrimination or anything like that. And you you can take them out in public and yeah, they have their quote unquote normal meltdowns, but they can still function. Mm -hmm. So there's so much that I think all of us take for granted at all times. Um, My children, none of my children have been formally diagnosed, uh, but you know, they have probably undiagnosed things, but I just have learned how to manage it um, and to shift certain things. And it's never gotten to that point where I'm like, okay, more needs to happen here, but we've had to change schools. We've had to uh, find, you know, create things that just don't work for our children. And to be honest, there's a lot of shame that comes up. Uh, There's a lot of guilt. There's a lot of, um, what did I do wrong? I mean, you go down right from like, did I eat something bad when I was pregnant (laughs) to, um, oh, I was really stressed out when I had this kid. Is that why? So there's a lot of inner work that needs to happen. Um, and really understanding, like I take the perspective of your child's behavior is speaking to you. So a lot of the women, and I say women because I mostly work with women, but a lot of the families that I attract, you know, getting a diagnosis is absolutely terrifying. And I'm sure it is for everybody um, or a huge punch in the gut once you do get a diagnosis. And a lot of people live in denial of like, oh no, there's nothing wrong with my child. So they will actually avoid going to a doctor or a therapist or even just getting any additional support for their child. Meaning, you know, I'm like, well, how many services do I use? Like massage, chiropractic, I use energy healing, like for myself, um, and realizing our children need the same support, right? Mm -hmm. Like they're human beings as well. So I see behavior as a language. Like I said, it doesn't need to be fixed. A story that I often tell is when I first got into this work and decided to leave, um, you know, my corporate job and literally let go of my title as a social worker because I wanted to do it on my own terms, I was doing these workshops on meditation and mindfulness with children and the parents would drop off the child. And one of the parents said to me when she came to pick up her daughter, did you fix her behavior? Mm. And And this was the first time I was starting to hear these things. And I was like, oh, 
that was never the intention. Like she's actually perfect the way she is. And I could see these kids as they're being dropped off. I'm like, okay, guys, we're going to do this today. We're going to do this today. And it was very creative and playful. And they were like, well, shouldn't we do this? Or shouldn't we do that? And I could see that they were they already had these rules and expectations of how they were supposed to act probably from previous conversations with their parents. And, and I said, no, 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 you're perfect. Just the way you are like, this is going to be fun. This is going to be exciting. But I could see that the parents expectation of putting on their, like, you're going to go here. You're going to learn how to calm down. You're going to learn how to deal with this behavior because I can't. And that was my first indicator that, you know, our expectations as parents that my child needs to be this way. Uh, it, it's that old saying of like, it drives me nuts when people are like, oh, well, don't you want to have another child just to try for a girl? Mm, yeah. And I'm like, what do you, uh, I don't understand. Like, this is something we actually don't have control over. And even though science is trying to make it mainstream that we can control these things. I think it's ridiculous that, you know, we're so controlling as human beings trying to Mm -hmm. control every aspect of our child, including, you know, the 1.2 children that each family has or something. It's just, it's mind blowing to me. Yeah. And I think that control, that need for control is where we get so tripped up. And this idea of perfection, you know, which social media has a lot of blessings, but one of the curses is that we see the highlight reel of other people's lives. And so it looks like everybody else has this fantastic life and these picture perfect, you know, birthday parties for their kids and all of these things. And, and it's just not reality. And so You know, I think we inadvertently set that bar at a place that isn't achievable. You know, as long as we're looking for perfection or we're hanging on to the idea of control, we're always going to feel like a failure. Yeah, I giggle when you make the um, social media comment because I have this like saying in my phrase, in my mind, um, which I don't really tell anybody is <laughs> the prettier it looks, the worse off they are. Yeah. Right. Meaning typically when people, when it looks perfect on the outside, that means they're really struggling on the inside. Yeah. And it's, yeah, it's a theory I have. And every single time, um, it's proven that, you know, when we feel this is the thing, this is the whole essence of why my brand is called mom is in control because we try to so badly control the outside. That is your behavior speaking to you, indicating that something internally feels out of control. And, you know, we do this as, as adults and children do it. Right. So yeah. I see people go, oh, my child has OCD or my child has, you know, is very angry or bites or kicks or does all of this. And I'm like, yes, because they don't feel in control on how to control this emotion. Exactly. So the only thing that they can control is outwardly hitting you. Mm-hmm. And 
it's going to take more than meditation and mindfulness. It's going to take a whole understanding of what your child is doing and it's lifelong learning, right? You don't just eat vegetables for one meal and then you're like, okay, I'm done. You have to show up every single day and do these things. And it's a lifestyle shift. It's a parenting shift. But the reason why people outwardly look controlling is because there's something inside saying, I need your attention. Yeah. Yeah. We're pushing down all that chaos and not letting others see it or trying not to let others see it. Mm -hmm. Let's talk just a second about expectations. You brought this up a minute ago and I just wanted to go into it a little bit more because it's something that I talk a ton about um, for parents of kids with ADHD and autism. And, And it goes really for any kid and any parenting, but, you know, we have to have appropriate attainable expectations for our kids. So when that mom is dropping off her child and thinking that one lesson of meditation with you is going to fix her behavior, you know, she had an expectation that wasn't realistic. And so she was setting herself up to be disappointed, whether she realized it or not. Um, And that's something that you know, I work on a lot with parents because, again, that's another hurdle that you have to get beyond before you're really going to do good work. You know, when you're going to have some positive improvements, you and, and those expectations really come again from that traditional parenting dynamic that we learn. Um, but it's so, so crucial to really look at who our kids are, as you were just talking about with the behavior in using that behavior as communication and working from that place to develop those expectations for that child. Well, yeah, we're so worried about what other people think too. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where these expectations come. You either have these expectations from uh, your past, right? Of, you know, what your parents' expectations were of you, or maybe your parents didn't have high expectations of you. So you've done the complete opposite and have extremely high expectations of your children. Um, You know, depending what your mindset was going into parenthood and then realizing, you know, I don't have a child that um, was the child or this is the life that I thought I would have as a Mm -hmm. parent. I see a lot of people, you know, there's a, I think there's a grieving process when we become parents as well of the life, um, the life that we used to have or the person we used to be. Right. Um, but are you familiar with Byron Katie's work, loving what is? I am not. Okay. You need to, oh, she's magic. She's, um, been around for a really long time and she has these four questions of, is it true? Do you absolutely know it's true? Who would you be without that thought? Mm. And then she does the turnaround. So when I started listening to her, so it's Byron Katie, B-R-Y-A-N Katie, um, Byron Katie, link in the show R-Y-A-N-O-N, Byron Katie. I don't know. The I'll work. It it's up. called, it's called, <laughs> it's called the work. So I think you can go okay. to the work.com. Anywho, she is, there's this one question that she asks at the end when you're supposed to turn the statement around. So my child makes me angry because he won't listen to me when I ask him to clean his room. Mm-hmm. And, you know, turn it around. Is it true that your child makes you angry? 
child is making you angry. No, you're, that's a reaction that you're personally having, right? Yeah. Who would you be without that thought? How would you react to your child? Well, if I didn't, if I wasn't so triggered that he wouldn't clean his room the first time I asked, I'd probably be more loving and kind to him. And I would say, Hey honey, can you clean your room? And then I would, you know, just, I would approach it in a completely different way. And then he might actually clean his room because my energy is coming from a loving, kind place rather than clean your room. Now I'm going to take everything away from you and blah, 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 blah. Mm -hmm. And at the end it's, uh, it's the turnaround, which is I am mad at my son or you know, my son is mad at me, whatever your question was, you turn it around on yourself. So my son is angry. I'm angry at my son. The turnaround would be, I'm angry at myself. Wow. And then sometimes people usually cry at this point and go, oh, dang, I'm angry at myself. Why are you angry at yourself? And then that's a whole other can of worms that you open. I'm angry at myself because I feel like I'm failing as a mother. Mm-hmm. I'm angry at myself because I feel like I'm failing my child and I can't give him what he wants. I'm angry at myself because I don't know who I am and I'm depleted and angry and frustrated and resentful. And I don't even know if I want to be a mother anymore. Wow. That's some powerful stuff. I have yeah. Goosebumps. Yeah. And it's it just, really is. And it really does. Questions. Yeah. It really does though, help you get to the root where if you didn't ask it in that way to turn it around on yourself, you wouldn't think in that way, you wouldn't get there. Um, but then that, you know, you're really digging up kind of those deep truths by doing that. Mm-hmm. The other thing that I heard in your statement, my son won't clean his room was that won't is a, is a red light word for parents. Is it really that he's choosing not to, that he's choosing not to do what you ask and please you? Or is it that he can't under the parameters that are happening at the moment? Yes. Yes. So that's a big piece too. Yeah. yeah. I love that. Especially with the male brain. I mean, that's a whole nother conversation (laughs) and I'm not an expert, but what I've discovered um, is you know, they need a little more guidance sometimes, especially Mm -hmm. age appropriateness. And if they have, um, other blocks that are getting in their way and need additional support, sometimes they need the visual, right? They need step one, step two, step three, step four, step five. Yeah. It's, it's not just go clean your room, go clean your room because that in itself can be overwhelming to the nervous system. Yeah. And we don't all have that same um, sense of planning and organization, you know, for ADHD specifically, there's Mm -hmm. a lot of executive functioning delays and deficits. And so, you know, I'm a natural organizer. My son will live in filth and not even notice like totally different beings. And it's just that our brain works in different ways. It's not that he chooses to be messy or he chooses to defy me because I would rather it be clean. Um, You know, it's all in that mindset. It's all in the perspective that we take about each and everything. Yeah. Yep. Awesome. We've had an awesome conversation and I will definitely post links to everything that you've mentioned in the show notes. Um, 
this episode, the show notes will be available at parentingadhdandautism.com slash 039 for episode 39. And um, you'll be able to link up too with Heather and all the work that she's doing. You can connect, you can um, certainly take advantage of, I know you have some courses, online courses, and maybe some workshops. So there's lots of goodies there to take advantage of as well. Yeah, for sure. They can check out, just go to my website, Heather Chauvin, C-H-A-U-V-I-N.com. And my TEDx talk is on there as well called Dying to Be a Good Mother. Awesome. Yeah, so much good stuff here that we could talk about probably all day, you and I. I feel like we're we're on the same wavelength with this stuff, but um, we'll give everybody a a digestible podcast here and and they can certainly reach out to you and, and do more work that way. Perfect. Thank you so much, Penny. Yeah, thank you. And with that, we will conclude this episode of the Parenting ADHD podcast, and I'll see everybody next time. Thanks for listening to the Parenting ADHD podcast with Penny Williams. If you like what you just heard, be sure to subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher. Visit the website, parentingadhdandautism.com for so much more on successfully raising kids with ADHD. Be sure to check out the podcast section as well for previous shows. Join us next time for more parenting strategies and insights that actually work for kids with ADHD.